Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Uh, Governor Reeves' press conference today will restart Mississippi, be reforming as a lobbyist organization. No. That was the uh, the answer that you got from Governor Tate Reeves. A lot of time spent today. A lot of uh, the question and answer uh, today was along the lines of who was going to have the authority uh, to allocate and to spend the money that is coming in from the federal government. The Mississippi, uh, state of Mississippi is going to be eligible uh, for about uh, one and a quarter billion dollars. And uh, some news stories started coming out yesterday that the uh, legislature was uh, perhaps going to convene as soon as Monday and uh, might strip the governor of his powers to spend that money as is currently allowed by law, a law that's been on the books for about 40 years. Uh, The governor very strongly and adamantly said that he doesn't care who spends the money as long as it quickly gets to the places that it needs to go to help people in Mississippi uh, the idea that he doesn't completely care that uh, uh, who spends it, I think maybe that's a little bit of conjecture. I think it's pretty clear that uh, he believes that he is the person uh, who needs to be assigning where that money goes, and uh, that's what a lot uh, of today was about. I think the fact that that line of questioning is now in place, and again, Here's Richard, Mr. Optimism, with you as we begin the show today. And we're going to transition to sports in just a second, just kind of wrapping up um, uh, the governor's press conference, those that we've been bringing you uh, every day. And today's uh, started half an hour earlier, started at 2 o'clock. I think the fact that that's where the questioning is transitioning, and I know that's kind of the biggest news item right now in terms of, of state politics, that's a sign of progress that we're maybe not as focused on testing and mortality rates and whether or not we've got the right hospital capacity and where our overflow facilities are and the amount of PPE that is getting out. All of those things are still happening. But now they're beginning to have some disagreements and some arguments about who needs to be allocating the money that comes into the state and where it needs to go and how it can be best used. To me, that feels like a transition away from what has been the immediate crisis of taking care of people people who are sick and trying to keep other people from getting sick to the political piece of this that's going to follow on the back end. If you want to watch the uh, press conference in its entirety, you can go to uh, supertalk.fm. You can catch it uh, on our uh, Supertalk Facebook page, um, Governor's Facebook page, wherever it is that you would like to follow along. A full three-hour edition of Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday, the 30th of April, the last day of the month of April. I'll give you one more piece of news as we wrap up. So as we put a close on the month of April, you know how bad March was in terms of the stock market. And I'm sure that somebody will accuse me of, you only mention the stock market when the news is good. Well, yeah, okay, sorry. Um, The NASDAQ had its best month, month, the month of April, since June of 2000, best month in 20 years on the NASDAQ. Dow Jones had its best month since October of 2002. And the S&P 500 had its best month since January of 1987. And that was despite all three of those indexes closing down, maybe I should say indices, uh, closing down today. Uh, NASDAQ was down a little over a quarter of a point 
S&P was down just shy of a full point, and uh, the Dow Jones was down 1.17. So uh, relatively good stock market news if you're thinking about retirement investment funds and all of those things uh, for the month of April as a whole. Political talk, Mississippi, stock market talk, Mississippi, and now sports talk, Mississippi. What's we up, do Michael Borky? Can we do one more positive story for the day? The, you're talking about the big story that you led with? Uh, the story that I wanted to lead with. Yeah, no no sports again, yeah. but three for three in positivity to start the show. Uh, Oxford yes, University. But, but let's tell everybody first what, what's going on and who we are. I, I'm with, I think we need to spend some time on this. I think it's a great story. Yeah, and, nobody and cares we'll about who I am. You can tell them who you are, but I'm, I'm an afterthought I'm Richard here. Cross. That voice is Michael Borky. Brian Haydad saddled up in the Starkville studio. we got Brian Scott Rippey in the Oxford studio. We're glad to be with you. If you would like to be a part of the show, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That is the C Spire text line. If you're experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, shortness of breath, well, check in with C Spire and UMMC. They're partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire Health app for all Mississippians who are experiencing symptoms. Just download the app to quickly connect with a UMMC clinician from your phone. UMMC can help diagnose your symptoms and assess whether you should be tested for COVID-19. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. You may have heard, if you were listening to the press conference, Dr. Dobbs from the State Department of Health uh, point out that the criteria for testing has changed uh, a little bit in the state of Mississippi. Now you don't have to necessarily be experiencing symptoms if you've been exposed to someone uh, or think you've been exposed to someone uh, with COVID-19. You can uh, be tested, and so the volume of tests is uh, is really accelerating right now. So yeah, Borky, this, uh, this story from CBS News, we go to London or right outside of London, where researchers at Oxford University have got some pretty darn good news, it sounds like. They are developing, and they've already actually um, forwarded the, what, the elements, if you will, to a company to start producing what they believe is a vaccine that works. And they believe if, with a little bit further testing, it does work, it will be mass distributed by September. The story is pretty fascinating. So uh, Sarah Gilbert is a professor of vaccinology at uh, Oxford University. She says, well, personally, I have a high degree of confidence about this vaccine because it's technology that I've used before. It's technology the lab had already developed in previous work on inoculations for other viruses, including a close relative of COVID-19. And that's what gave Oxford University a head start on this. The vaccine takes the coronavirus's genetic material It injects it into a common cold virus that has been neutralized so that it cannot spread in people. The modified virus will mimic COVID-19, triggering the immune immune system to fight off the imposter and providing protection against the real thing. So it kind of works like a flu vaccine, right? Uh, I guess generally speaking, the way vaccines work is you inject something into your body uh, that you would rather not have in your body, but your body's immune system has the ability to fight off and therefore kind of forms a barrier for other things that are coming in. Um, They have already tested this on a whole bunch of monkeys uh, and then in human trials as well, giving 550 participants the the actual vaccine, 550 receiving a, uh, a placebo. There was another scientist at Oxford that said, it feels like finally I am able to do something. This was a way for me to contribute 
to the cause. Already the largest drug maker in the world, based in India, is going to start producing millions of the vaccines by next month, even before they have been proven to work. It's a little bit of a, uh, a gamble by that drug maker in India, but the idea is get out ahead of it, and if it works, hey, by the way, here's 7 million vaccines that we can sell. It will be very profitable for them, so makes uh, a lot of sense. That's good news, and especially, Borky, if you said massively ready, available by September, now, a few million of those to cover the entire world isn't enough, um, but that could potentially be massive for the rebound that so many people are talking about with regard to coronavirus. Especially, yeah, since this is only one maker that is doing it. Once they prove that it is an effective vaccine, it will be mass-produced worldwide. This is huge news, and of course, I mean, yes, this is CBS, the link is, but you don't see mass conversation about it, which is mind-blowing to me because this is the best news that I've read so far. I mean, this is not some sketchy study from China with only like 40 participants, and it's none of that. This is Oxford University, like a gold standard of higher education, out loud saying we are so confident in this being a vaccine, we're already producing the thing by the millions. And it's like an afterthought to people. Blows my mind, but it's the best news I've read so far. I agree. Hey, Dad, what's up? Uh, not a whole lot today. I, was, I tried to think of anything interesting to talk about, but I got nothing. So it's really not you, that you, different you, for me. You, you didn't want to jump in on politics, stock market, or vaccines? I cannot stress enough. Well, the vaccine sounds like great news. I'll be happy to jump in on that. The other stuff, I'm staying away. Ceasefire text line, I, I mean, this is kind of the point that I was making uh, just a second ago, and I think it's a really good one. I think when st- things start getting political, it's a sign of somewhat normal returning. I, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. You weren't going to have people, uh, leadership in the legislature or the governor, start fighting about how a great big pot of money was going to be spent while we were trying to figure out how to take care of the people of Mississippi. But it looks like a lot of those people have been taken care and gloves are coming off. Rippy, you getting ready, get geared up for a fight? I, I don't even know what any of that, most of that is, but sure, vaccine sounds cool. What's up, man? Golf for you today? <laughs> no, I wish. Probably this weekend. I, uh, I did some random you're, you're, you're really too smart to play the dumb guy all the time, you know? <laughs> I just was not paying attention to, like, I, I got in the press conference late, not really paying attention until we go on air, so. But vaccine seems awesome. It does seem pretty awesome. <laughs> Crack. There is one cool. master's <laughs> degree among us. <laughs> and these guys are like, I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> He's a doctor. He doesn't need to worry about these kind of things. Exactly. Uh, Greg and Nettleton, I'm with you, Greg. He says, don't forget about the great weather we're having. We'll be wanting some of this back in a couple of months. The weather is awesome. You're right. It is absolutely spectacular outside today. A little windy, uh, but absolutely gorgeous. This is, this is Hey Dad's deal. 70 and sunny. He says, it, he says give it to him 365 days a year. Yep, absolutely. No, it was right. a little too windy last Saturday. I could barely, I had trouble getting the fire started on the grill. That's how windy it was. Yeah. But I don't mind. I got over that. You, you will survive. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Are you going to light the grill this weekend? Nope. This is an indoor weekend. 
Right, like you can't be outside consecutive weekends. I just want to cook lasagna. You can do that in the middle of the week. No, you can't. Why? Not a good because the sauce takes four hours to cook. What do you want from me? You only work three hours a day. It's like you're going to press conferences right now. I got stuff to do. Of course you do. Can't cook four-hour sauce. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. You can do the grill on Saturday and lasagna on Sunday. Just saying. Nah, that's how we're doing. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. I was thinking during the break, uh, hey, Dad, could you do the lasagna on the grill? I don't think so. Why not? I don't think the pot that I cooked the sauce in would do well over an open flame. What if you did the pot? I mean, the sauce goes in, it gets mixed in with the noodles, right? Have you ever had lasagna? Do you know what it looks like? Yes, I'm quite aware of what lasagna looks like. It gets cooked in a casserole dish. I don't think he does. What is the origin of this dish? I, I don't think he knows either, to be totally honest with you. But... No, I don't think I could cook it on the grill, just to answer the question. What, what sauce are you making separate? Like, if my wife makes lasagna, I don't think she necessarily makes the sauce separate from the actual, like, lasagna casserole dish. Well, I, ho- I hope my cousin's listening. He's just laughing right now at you. I make the, 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 the sauce, the bolognese sauce that goes into the lasagna. Okay. So why can't you make that in a pot on the stove? I, I, I'm not suggesting you do it. Now I'm like actually thinking about whether or not it's possible. I mean, I can't imagine a smoky grilled lasagna would be uh, very good. Ooh, smoky, smoky lasagna sounds incredible. Are you crazy, man? So, that sounds like a very bad idea to me. Why don't you throw it in the air fryer or the microwave? <laughs> Look, man, you need to take that air fryer and go put it in the trash can along the, uh, the road. Why? Ever since I mentioned the steak thing, I've probably had eight, nine people message me over the course of the couple months and being like, that was surprisingly awesome. And I said, yeah, I told you. Never wrong. Except for the fact that you yourself said you were surprised when it turned out good the very first time. Right. But that was suggested by me. And then once I said it was good, people agreed. Yeah. You know, never is a long time. But hey, Dad, it feels like never is the amount of time before I cook a steak in an air fryer. I, it's not it's not high on my to do list, but I might give it a try one time. What about the sous vide? Uh, I, I said that right. The what, sous vide. Wait, I never got an answer. What is lasagna? It's a layered <laughs> pasta dish. Wait, what? Yeah. No, yeah. newsflash. Wait, am I being trolled here, or did you? You, you didn't know what lasagna is. Yes, you're No, no, no. I was, I was trying to help Richard out. He didn't seem to know. No, I completely understand what lasagna is. The, the, Does he hate that? the thing you buy in the red box. It says Stouffer's. You just put it in the oven, right, Richard? Could you take one of those Stouffer's lasagnas that comes in the pan and set it on the grill and cook it that way? It Indirect probably wouldn't heat? be any more disgusting if you did, so no. You don't like Stouffer's lasagna? No, I like homemade lasagna. I'm texting okay. Malcolm Reed right now to see what he says. What, as to whether or not you could cook lasagna on the grill? Yeah, could you could you grill slash smoke lasagna, and would it be good? We'll see what... Will that be... 
Hey, Dad, will you accept that answer as the gospel? You're a big Malcolm Reed fan. I mean, if he says you can do it, I'm sure you can do it, but I don't think I would not going to try it. it. No. <laughs> You're not going to try it. Uh, there you go. The Thomas and Greenwood says, does how to barbecue right have a recipe? That's uh, how to BBQ right.com. If you're looking, Mike in Oxford says uh, campfire lasagna cooking dish. He sends us a, a picture of a large cast iron pot. Uh, Lucas in union says you can smoke lasagna and it's 100% fantastic. Ricky and Jackson says I can do it. I cooked everything I eat on my grill. Uh, oh, this is a good point. Hey, it's a really good point here. Somebody said you can smoke mac and cheese. You ever had smoked mac and cheese before? It's the best way to to make it. Like smoked Gouda mac and cheese? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we get a message that says you can cook anything on the egg. I don't have an egg. That's different than a, a, a pure smoker, though. I mean, you can turn it into one, but... It isn't. Yeah, I mean, all you got to do, you put the place center in there to create indirect heat, and you're yeah. good. Stay, uh, uh, here we go. In order to grill lasagna, you must know how to drive a stick <laughs> shift. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving, hey, Dad. You not driving a stick shift is our Jelly of the Month Club. I see. Uh, Malcolm's responding right now, so I'll tell you what he says. Uh, Bart in Columbus says, I've smoked it before, but I didn't inhale. God. <laughs> Doesn't count. Uh, friend that's a chef that cooked her lasagna in a smoker a couple of weeks ago because she forgot that her oven went out and said it was fantastic. Jerry in Brookhaven is getting sick. He says, please stop. I hope that's because you're laughing. Um, chef Boyar Richard. <laughs> Jeff says that uh, Rippy is correct and air fried steak is pretty good. But there's a difference in pretty good and either average, like skilleted you or right. grilled good. That is correct. Do what? Yeah, there's a difference between pretty good and then average, which is probably what you're going to get on the grill. Malcolm says it would be good, and uh, yeah, you can definitely smoke it. Just make sure it's on indirect heat and run the temp about 350, and it would be great. Rippy, have you gotten to the point where, given the option of cooking a steak on the grill or in an air fryer, other than the fact that you're lazy, you would actually choose to do it in the air fryer? No, it's more about like the grill selection we have at my current house, to be completely honest. It's a, it's a hell of a lot harder, much more pain in the butt. So currently, yes, but like, would I never put it on the grill again? No, but I wouldn't sleep on it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um... I saw this pop up on Twitter a little while ago and kind of got my antennas up just a bit. Matt Hayes, who writes at Bleacher Report. Apparently, Greg Sankey did a conference call or maybe did an interview with Matt Hayes. And this was Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC's quote on conference alignment in returning in the fall. Quote, The hope is we all move along together. But there is room for different conferences to make different decisions. If a couple programs aren't able, does that stop everyone? I'm not sure it does. Close quote. Love it. Doesn't it make you feel good when oh, people it. in leadership positions kind of agree with what we've been saying for a month? <laughs> 
It's because we're smart and we should be in leadership positions. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but good, because that's the right answer. It, and don't give me any political crap about anything else. If Vanderbilt doesn't want to play, but the rest of the SEC wants to play, they're playing ball, man. And I, it's so refreshing to hear that because we shouldn't let even two schools hang up a football season when everybody else is all in. And because they are working with local health officials, they deem it safe enough to play. You should play. And if Vanderbilt or whoever doesn't want to, good. Leave them out. We'll play without them this year. That's fine. You don't get a cut of the revenue. Perfect. Yeah. It's an easy, obvious answer, and it seems like it's going to be complicated for other leagues. Not this one. I'm almost to the point where I'm backing away from my stance a little bit on Vanderbilt being kind of the holdout in the SEC. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a holdout in the SEC. I think you'll see all 14 teams go uh, together. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I do still believe that Vanderbilt is the most likely out of that group because think about think about the other states in the footprint. Okay, Louisiana in the southeast has been effect, affected most drastically. Do you think there's a snowball's chance in hell that LSU is not playing football if the other if 12 or 13 of the other schools in the SEC are playing? No, they're playing. Not one chance. No way. So what about after that? Well, Arkansas is going to play. Missouri's already said that they're going to be back in school. Alabama's um, chancellor of, of the Alabama system yesterday said that they're planning to be back in school. Whatever Alabama does, Auburn's going to do. Whatever Auburn does, Alabama's going to do. So you're, you're good with those two. Ole Miss and Mississippi State are going to be back. I, I kind of feel like we're going to get an announcement in the next few days, certainly in the next couple of weeks, from either the IHL or the schools, or maybe it's the schools driving the announcement that ultimately comes from the IHL that says the plan is to be back in school with on-campus activities. Everybody's on-campus stuff is going to be altered. Like it, It's not going to be like when you were a freshman in college and you went to a freshman biology class with 60 other people. Or you went to a freshman you know, English comp class where there were 100 people in there. I don't think it's going to look like that. And I don't think you're necessarily going to have class Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9 a.m. You know, meets three times a week in the classroom. And if you're not there, you get, you know, whatever. I think it's going to be a mix of some online stuff and some in-class stuff and some smaller class sizes, but it's going to resume on campus. Tennessee will be back. I mean, Georgia's already opened the majority of its state, and the world has not come to an end, as was predicted by the Atlanta mayor and others. Did you mention Texas A&M, by the way, today also made the announcement? Texas A&M made the announcement today. So did Texas the Tech. University of Texas and Texas Tech. So Texas is coming back online. We're playing ball this fall. Get ready. Maybe the biggest story of the day in the sports world is the one about the uh, one-time transfer rule. We'll circle back to uh, some more content related to yesterday's name, image, and likeness conversation. Um, Borky, I know that maybe I'm kind of messing up the college football fix. We'll, we'll circle back to this again then. Uh, we can we can put it back together. 
But but I think this is a big deal. The NCAA Board of Directors. Okay, let me press pause just for a second as we we roll into this. There there are a couple of things. So you've got working groups and working committees that work on ideas and pass them up the ladder. And then you have the Board of Directors or the Board of Governors, which are a bunch of university presidents and academic types that ultimately are are the bosses. But then you also have the Division I Council, which is the group that votes new legislation into being. And I'm sure there are a bunch of other subsets that are out there. So today, the NCAA Board of Directors or Board of Governors said that alterations to the NCAA's waiver process are, quote, not appropriate at this time, unquote. The NCAA is considering a plan that grants a one-time transfer waiver that allows athletes to play immediately upon their transfer to a new school. Basketball, baseball, hockey, and football players are currently forced to sit out one season if they transfer, but any potential changes to the waiver policy for now are being put on hold. However, this year you're going to have a one-time penalty-free transfer because of the coronavirus pandemic. Another quote from the story, the board agreed to lift the moratorium on transfer legislation for the 2020-21 legislative cycle, but recommended to the council that changes to the waiver process as suggested by the working group are not appropriate at this time. Board uh, members recommended the waiver process be sensitive to student-athlete well-being, especially those impacted by COVID-19 in the interim period. So they're saying the one-time transfer rule is going to be in place for everybody this year, but after this year, we're going back to the old way. Now, ultimately, the Division I Council is going to have to vote on this. So you have a working group that suggested we change it and make it a one-time transfer rule for everybody. The Board of Governors said, yeah, we're on board for it being this year, but we're not on board with it in perpetuity. And now the Division I Council has to vote on the recommendation from the working group. The question is, will they buck the recommendation of the Board of Governors, or will they vote in the recommendation from the working group, the people who spent all this time putting these ideas together? Something I want to get clarity on here, because you're talking about you know they'll have the one-year transfer for those affected by COVID-19. So that's only going to mean spring sports, right? Basketball and football would not be affected. No, no, no. no. It's, it's all of 2020-21. Regardless of sports. So football players, even though yep. their season was not impacted, would still be eligible? Yes. Okay. It, th- this is th- It's not for the year that we're finishing. It's for the year going forward. So the 2020-2021 okay. academic slash athletic year is the year where we're talking about where you can get a free one-time transfer. So there's a particular quarterback, the former number one recruit in the country, who is currently looking for a home that would be eligible this season, is what you're saying. Who are you talking about? Oh, uh, JT Daniels. Yeah. So that's what you're saying, is wherever he lands, he's eligible right away? If this, uh, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. He becomes very interesting now. 
Because I know he got he, he lost his job to a guy that had an exceptional year on a not good football team, uh, but that dude is supremely talented. Wherever he, I mean, he's a hot commodity. Uh, Quinn's been texting us for the last few days about him and LSU. Uh, I think that I was going to ask that question. I, I was going to ask, is that where he goes? If you're Ed Orgeron, that is where I mean, you have to pursue that, don't you? I mean, upgrade in talent would be obvious. It just worked with Joe Burrow. Yeah. And there's a um, particular football coach in this state that's been retweeting items involving said quarterback. Maybe he's just having fun on Twitter, but I think uh, Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin would be crazy not to try. The quarterback room's crowded, but you would think, logic would tell you, he would be the most talented guy in that room if you were to sign him. Would he? Some think he like because I mean he was he's leaving there because he wasn't going to win that job back. Some people think he played on a good high school team and peaked at a young age. Yeah, I guess that's that's possible as well. Um, what does this mean to you when you listen? What what do you think the rationale is behind the uh, the board of governors going? Or who who are they hearing from? that the transfer thing is a terrible idea. Most coaches, right? Coaches Coaches and and ADs, they don't like this idea because it makes their jobs a little bit more difficult. And at the end of the day, we all want our jobs to be easier, right? So I understand why some are opposed to that. They use the terms free agency and opening up a can of worms and Pandora's box and all that stuff. Um. But if that's who they're listening to, then I think they're doing a disservice to the, the the kids that they are supposed to be protecting. Because those coaches that are opposed to it, and you know there are a lot of coaches that are opposed to it, are the multimillionaires that can leave any time of year without penalty. I mean, yeah, they have buyouts, but the new school pays their buyout and they're worth millions of dollars. But a player leaves and they get punished? That doesn't seem fair. So if you're the NCAA, shouldn't... Uh, the players be the ones that you're listening to and not the multi-million dollar football coach? It's interesting because you think about like the roots of the NCAA and it was found, you know, as a result of, you know, they were going to ban football because people were dying playing it. So they formed the NCAA to basically to protect the student athlete. And yet here we are. Well, what's the... What's the cliched saying that has so much truth to it? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Ah, yes. Yeah, very true. It doesn't always happen immediately, but over time, that's kind of where we get. I was kind of thinking, tell me if this is a trickle uh, trickle down from professional athletics, professional sports. And this is not exactly an apples-to-apples comparison, but... You see trends over time where you go from one way of playing to an entirely different way of playing, and it positively affects one group and kind of negatively affects another group. So so let's use an example from the NBA. The NBA from the 80s. If you've been watching any of the Jordan documentary, you've seen 
some of the footage of the way the Pistons and the Celtics and the Lakers used to play, how they were big and strong and physical and fouled hard, hard, and officials completely swallowed the whistle. And they didn't pop technical fouls all the time. You didn't see a lot of flagrant fouls. It was a different game than it is today. But over the last eh, two and a half, three decades, we've trended to you know better spacing. You can't breathe on a guy without getting, getting whistled for a foul. Um, referees are tech-happy. Uh, flagrants are called all the time, and you know, whether it's in the name of player safety or making the game more watchable, whatever the reason. But you, you, you trended from it being a game that was all about defense to a game that was all about offense. It's not exactly an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but it feels like we're trending right now on the NCAA front from a set of rules that has been beneficial for universities, leagues, and the NCAA corporate structure, profitable, beneficial, all of the rules are in their favor, but now we're kind of trending in the opposite direction where all of the rules and all the legislation that's going into place is being more student-athlete-centered. You just see things that change over time in sports. I mean, football would be, you, you could use a football example as well, um, with the way every, basically every rule that's gone into effect in the NFL in the last decade, maybe decade and a half, has been to benefit offenses and to protect quarterbacks and to make the games more exciting offensively. And, and so it's like you get to a point in time where it says, no, we're going to change. The, the, the new things that we put in place are going to be to take us in a different direction. Does that comparison make any sense at all? Or did I completely lose you there? No, that makes sense. I see what you, I see what you're getting at. It's like something happens or a confluence of events comes together that makes people that are putting rules into place go, okay, we're going to do it a different way going forward. And I feel like we've kind of hit that point with the NCAA where it's been one way for a really long time and now we're not going to just give lip service to taking care of student-athletes we're going to put rules into place that are beneficial to them. You just don't have everybody on board with that yet. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Wrapping up the first hour of the show on this Thursday afternoon. Forecast for the weekend is absolutely spectacular. Hey, Dad, going to be a little warmer than you like. We're not going to be in the 70s. We're going to be in the uh, maybe even the low 80s this weekend. Mm-hmm. you be able to uh, cope with that? Good thing I'll be inside. <laughs> will you will you leave the the indoors between the time you get home from the show on Friday? It, you know, six thirty or so, and Monday, whenever it is, you have to venture back to the studio. Well, I have to venture back to the studio on Sunday to do the podcast, but I'm sure I'll go outside between now and then. Well, I mean, you got a tomorrow's a work day. I'm just saying, yeah. Between Friday, yeah, I'll, I'll go out at some point this weekend and do something, like mailbox or stretch, nothing or else. Yeah, hot exactly. yoga or something. Yes, those those are things that are possible. You still doing your hot yoga? Uh, I have I have slacked off on that more than I should. I should get back into it. The the what what was it called? Wrestler yoga, WWF yoga, or 
Uh, DDP yoga. DDP. I knew it. Yeah, it was. I knew it was something, but it was a. It wasn't it like Sting the wrestler's program or something? It was DDP's. Or was program. It Sting the musician? No. Who is DDP? Uh, Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas Page. I knew that. I knew that. Sorry, I had to think he, for a second. He, he he knew that. He says. I was getting there. Were you? I had to think on the initials on a wrestler with the initials DDP. Okay. Okay. So I got there. Okay. <laughs> Do you just get bored with it? No, no. I just I just haven't been doing it. I need I need to get back into it. That's why I forgot you had all this stuff to do. You hadn't had any free time. I've had, yeah, just, you know. Been. I'm like rail on Hey Dad Day. Sorry, I know, man. It's okay. It's okay. The Egg Bowl will be here soon enough. You are one of the most interesting people I know. Have I ever told you that? Well, thank you. I, no, I, no, I, no. I hold on. Back, 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 no, no. Back up, back up, back up. Back up. Huh? Not one of the most. You're the one, of most, one of the most fascinating people I know. Okay. Those are sort of similar. They, they, they work for me. Yeah. I feel like I'm a pretty normal guy, but that's all right. Is uh, let's put it on the poll, Borky poll question: Is Hey Dad a quote normal guy? Close quote. I'm sure this will go well. I feel like that's poll no, abuse, just, but we'll do it. Normal's boring. That's true. Rippy just called Louisiana Lafayette fans are listening. Ooh, ooh! You just voluntarily brought that up. I mean, everybody knows what happened. I don't, you know, this is what it is. What happened? Now, you, like I said, you already know, so why am I telling you? I don't like to repeat myself, Rippy. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, I'll write it down and, and mail it to you. Mike in Oxford says hot yogurt sounds nasty. Hot yogurt does sound nasty. Gah. Ugh. Um, okay. Text message here. Congresswoman, United States Representative Donna Shalala, who is a former college president at both Miami and Wisconsin, said the one-time transfer waiver presented problems in a virus-impacted year when states will open at different times. Example, California says they might not hold athletics this fall. What if 35 players transfer from USC to go east? Then let them go east. What if 35 regular students at USC want to go east because they want a college experience and they're not getting one in California? so they can get an equal education somewhere else and actually go to college. And so they transfer. Why do, why do they get all their credits will transfer? Nobody cares about them. But if it's a football player that wants to do it, can't allow that. Oh, no, Clay Helton, who makes how many million dollars a year, might have to build his roster a different way? Oh, no. I can't imagine caring about something like that. If a player wants to go east to play, let him go. Why is it... College athletes that we put such restrictions on, but any other college-aged human can do whatever they want. They don't have to go to school. They can go get a job. They can make money doing whatever they want to do. They can go to 10 colleges in four years if they want to, but a football player can't make their own choices? I don't understand that line of thinking at all. you see what the governor of California announced this morning? I... Who knows? He's he's shutting all of the beaches in the state of California for a full month, for the entire month of May. After they opened them again? Yep. Didn't like the pictures that came out of Orange County with all the people at the beaches, so they're shutting the whole state's beaches and parks down for the whole month. Lovely. 
We shouldn't they, punish all they college. They might be dealing with a revolt in California. Yeah, that's not going to go over well. I just I can't believe this this elected representative thinks we should punish players across the country because the governor of California doesn't want to open up his state, but every other one does. That's just mind blowing to me. It's not their fault. Well, Donna Shalala has always been queen.edu. Now she gets a uh, .us.gov email address to go with her .edu email address. Man, that's a combination. (laughs) 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 All right, Sports Talk Mississippi. We're going to take a quick timeout. Four o'clock hour coming your way right after this. work out yesterday about 20 minutes from right now maybe 15 minutes from right now rob fisher will join us we will talk some professional basketball with him rob from the grizzlies organization worked at grind city media and also is the sideline reporter for the memphis grizzlies television network cole kubelik will join us to start the five o'clock hour today as well look forward to our conversation with cole both rob and cole will appear on the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. If you want to be part of the program, you can text us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day, from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Borky, poll question today is what? It's going to be it is not up just yet, but okay. uh, do you think should college football players or athletes in general, not just football, be allowed to transfer one time without having to sit out? No okay. matter the reason, one-time penalty through, uh, penalty-free transfer. So it's a, uh, a yes or no poll question. If you want to follow up, just uh, respond, and we'll uh, check out some of those responses and maybe get to them as we go through the show. There's a reason that uh, that is out there today, and that is the uh, the fact that the NCAA's board of directors has kind of poo-pooed the idea of allowing the one-time transfer beyond this year. It is on the table for the 2020-21 academic athletic year, uh, but they are not endorsing that that become a rule uh, moving forward. It's a a one-time thing. Uh, So in that vein, do you support the idea of a one-time transfer without athletes having to sit out for a year? So yesterday, we, uh, we spent a bunch of time on NIL, name, image, and likeness. We are trending in the direction of uh, college athletes being able to benefit from their name, image, likeness. We talked yesterday about how this money can be made, what some of the restrictions are, what some of the guardrails are in place to uh, make sure that it doesn't blow up, that it doesn't turn into a disaster. Pete Thamel uh, did his best in a story at Yahoo Sports to try to figure out what superstar athletes would be worth. Now, superstars are are different than just stars, and they're certainly different than your just everyday college athletes. Borky, it appears as if Zion Williamson, as we were alluding to yesterday, 
is kind of in like a he, he's on an island of one. Yeah. So so his stardom was different than anybody's that we've seen, and his marketability while at Duke was so off the charts that it's almost just an anomaly, not really uh, other than just kind of for comparison's sake, not really germane to what everybody else could be. Right. It's not even fair to, to use him as examples. And in this story, in credit to him, he consulted a couple of experts in, in industry trends on like social media marketability and stuff like that. And Zion, for his six months at Duke would have been worth millions upon millions upon millions of dollars through any means that he could have gotten an endorsement. And that is by far an anomaly. And to put that in perspective, Joe Burrow, after LSU, so all the endorsements that go around draft time, after LSU, after the Heisman, after the national championship, when everybody and their brother knew he was going number one, $2.5 million Joe Burrow got around the draft endorsement times. Zion would have been worth millions more than that in his one year at Duke. He is a very, very unique example that doesn't even really need to be used in conversations about what these athletes are truly worth because he was so unique in his marketability. So what about somebody in the game right now? Like a a Trevor Lawrence, for example. What could Trevor Lawrence make in terms of name image likeness? Won't be eligible to exploit this new rule, according to Pete Thamels. He's expected to have declared for the NFL draft by the fall of 2021 when it's to be enacted, but for the face of the sport in the future. He says, think Auburn's Bo Nix in 2021. Huh? He's high on Bo Nix, I guess. Yeah, I'm not seeing that, but go ahead. <laughs> Wait, Pete, Pete, hold on a second. I, I just, I lost complete momentum on this story. Pete Thamel has Bo Nix as the face of college football going into the 2021 season. Oh, I did see a headline the other day that the guy, his quarterback coach thinks he can be a first round pick because that's a headline and we need to write at this point. Okay. Like, I think the example is probably just a kid that won a starting job at 18 years old and will be playing quarterback in the SEC for at least the next two years. Fair enough. Didn't mean to uh, drive the train off the tracks there. No, just your. The point he of, would be an average if he continues to improve. He would be your average, recognizable college football player at a major program. Okay. So, Thamel quoted a bunch of different people in sports management. This quote comes from Zach Soskin at Voltage Management. He says, "I think you're talking at minimum." Half million, closer to a million dollars. That's conservative. Some of the misconceptions, though, it's unlikely that a top college star would draw much interest from national deals. There could be exceptions, as perhaps you look at the haircut that Trevor Lawrence has, and maybe that would be interesting for shampoo companies. But for the most part, college athletes getting things like trading card deals or autograph and memorabilia deals... Um, not going to be a huge thing. And why would it? It's a, that's a really good point. We had I've seen it in a lot of places. People worried about I don't know Nike, for example, just buying Oregon all of these players. But it, when you think about it, really, really good elite, borderline elite NBA players don't have shoe deals. 
And I'll use it as local as I can get example. A guy like Drew Holiday, who's one of the better two-way players in the NBA, a great player. But he doesn't have a shoe deal. He doesn't have a Nike shoe. He doesn't have a trading card deal. He's a great player. One of the better players. He's an upper-tier player in the NBA, and he didn't have any market value. Not really. Well, hold on a second. It's not that he doesn't have a shoe deal. He has a deal if Nike is what he wears, where Nike pays sure. him and gives him product and you know probably writes him a check, but he doesn't have a signature shoe. They don't market right. a shoe as this is the holiday. That's right. And so if NBA players, good ones, don't have these massive national endorsement deals, why do you think college players are going to get that? Yeah. And and I didn't read that exactly right. So so there was kind of a, a stop in the the idea thread there uh, from from this guy at Voltage Management. The national deals aren't going to happen. He sees it more likely as trading cards, autographs, memorabilia deals. Although I don't think that Bo Nix, for example is going to get a deal with Upper Deck where they're paying him a bunch of money to be like a, a face of that. They might give him a trading card or you know do college football trading cards, whatever. But it said local car dealerships and restaurants will be huge drivers of this as well. But then we talked yesterday, and this to me got kind of turned into the most fascinating piece, is that social media could be the biggest driver in the ability for these college athletes to earn money. Trevor Lawrence has nearly 500,000 Instagram followers and 81,000 followers on Twitter. And so in terms of a monetary answer for a single Instagram post that was an advertisement, Trevor Lawrence could make $16,000. And for a single Twitter post, about $1,100. It's crazy how social media has just changed so much. Imagine thinking that. And it's real. I mean, it happens with celebrities and stuff all the time. There are people that... It happens with nobody. Yeah, that people that just like post pictures of them like sitting next to a yeah. pool and every other post is they're endorsing there, some product and people buy it. It's crazy. There, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these Instagram influencers who are absolute nobodies. They're just people who... Their best quality in life is they're very attractive. And yeah, pretty they people. Get paid. Yeah, yeah, and they get paid... And they get paid in some instances, or in some instances they just get free stuff. They get, you know, they go to some nice hotel and they just get put up for the weekend, and it's all free because they know people. They'll talk about it on Instagram, and and it goes from there. Just, just for the record, I'm not very attractive, but I'm happy to do that. I have nearly ten thousand. I have over ten thousand Twitter followers, so be more than happy to put your product out there for you. Please contact me. Hey, Dad at supertalk.fm. I have significantly less, but I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> do do you think this will cause college athletes to try to be more outrageous to build their followings in various social media platforms? They'd be crazy not to. Yeah. Feels like that could potentially lead to some bad decisions. Just yeah. thinking out loud. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. 
Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Uh, my friend Rob Fisher, right now on your radio, Grind City Media in Memphis. Uh, you can catch him in podcast land, and also uh, when the NBA is actually happening, you can catch him on television as the sideline reporter for the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll get to basketball in a second. Rob, I know you're a huge college football fan. You've covered it for a really, really long time. Gut feeling. Are we playing college football this fall? I think so. Yeah. But, but like everything else right now, Richard, it's just a guess. I mean, every, everything's a guess. It's, it's with no, you know, more knowledge of anything more than others. But I'm, I'm going to say yes. I, I believe so. I think we'll have enough time. It might be moved back a little bit, you know, because of training camps and, and those things, or fall camp, I guess we call it in college football. But, um, you know, just to get ready for camp and get ready for the season uh, and because of incoming freshmen really having nothing, you know, to go on at this point, I think we're, we're going to have a long camp. So maybe the season is delayed a little bit, but I think we're going to play the football season. I do. That's kind of where I fall as well. I mean, it, it feels like we could be like mid-late September, first weekend on October potentially, and then just maybe yeah. get rid of an open date and play it all the way through and wrap things up with the regular season in mid-December. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Bowl games. No, I'll go straight to the bowl games, which they start mid-December anyway, and hopefully they wouldn't have to move. And, you know, that that's another interesting thing when you think about it, and I know we've talked about this before, you know, you ask one question, you answer it, it leads to so many other questions. You know, now, all right, are we doing it in front of fans? Now, if there are no fans and no ticket sales, how many bowl games are going to exist? That's a really good point. Don't you, you know, think we get I, I mean, fan, if, if, if we get college because, football, don't we get fans at some point? You hope. You hope. I mean, when, when is... When's that next time? And just to think about it the last couple of days, how weird it's going to be. Let's say the NBA is the first, you know, sport to have fans. And it's, I don't know, August. How weird will it be to be that close to people and that many people at the same time? It's going to be so bizarre that I don't know. I don't know, you know, and the NBA could finish their season with no fans. And then all of a sudden you get to college football, and college football has to make that decision. And you're talking about sixty to a hundred and five thousand people together. Is that the thing that we need to do right now? And I don't know. My guess for that would probably be no. My hope certainly is yes, but my guess would probably be no that we don't have fans. So then, what happens if we get to the bowl games? Do we have fans by the bowl games? And if we don't have fans by the bowl games, then how do bowl games make money? It's it's a lot of ticket sales, and if there are no tickets sold, then do they exist? Yeah. You know, I think it would be weird with fans right up until the point when your team, whoever your team is, uh, scored a touchdown big. with yep. 34 seconds to go and comes from behind, and all of a sudden you're high-fiving and hugging people in the stands you've never met before because you just kind of lose your mind. But you feel really weird about it. <laughs> it's, it's still uncomfortable. You're not sure if you should be doing that or not. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be strange. I mean, we're talking about games with a hundred thousand people. I, I think it's strange to think of a bar opening up and people going up to the bar. I mean, are the bartenders going to be wearing gloves and masks now? And you know, I mean, it, it, 
I don't make mean to make light of it at all, but think about what, are you going to walk into a, a Hooters restaurant and they're all wearing gloves and masks? I mean, it's, it's weird. It's weird. It, and it's weird for any bar. Do, do, do they wear gloves and masks? And, and, and how close do you get to the, you know, and I had talked to a bar owner last week who told me, you know, they're moving the bar seats like six feet apart and they're, you know, spreading out all the tables and getting rid of tables. But the problem is people are going to come up to the bar and now you're going to have people close to each other. And are, are your employees, are the empo- are bartenders going to be wearing gloves and masks? I, I don't, I don't know, man. It's we- I I feel good about the fact that I don't think I'm going to be working for a while because I don't think we're going to have any games here for a while. So I can stay at home and I can kind of get an idea of what's happening out in the world because it's it's such an unknown and it's and it's still scary because you know we still don't have a a vaccine for it and you know if if you're at a place with a hundred thousand people I mean what are the odds that people there have it? Are you more or less likely to go to a Hooters if the servers are wearing masks and gloves? I'm just saying, since Hooters is open, they have the same outfits that they've worn since day one. They've never upgraded the outfits. They've never changed the outfits. So all of a sudden, if you're adding masks and gloves, I just find it very odd. Yeah. You you, you completely ignored my question, but that's okay. I'm not mad. <laughs> I don't even remember your question. <laughs> All right, hey, give me some give me some inside scoop on the NBA. We've talked about Vegas, we've talked about Disney, we've talked about what you get some uh, you know some source that's an executive in the NBA that says really we just want to shut it down the rest of the way, and then LeBron says heck no, nobody wants to shut it down. That's fake news. It's funny how that uh, has become a thing in all walks of life. Anyway. Sure. Uh, what, what, what's what's happening with the association? Well, I mean, I, I again, again when when you, you talk work about in any, the NBA, Rob, you think there? I mean, the thing is, if if my employer, Fox Sports, they, I mean, they're basically just they got their ears open, and you know, things that we hear from Fox, it, it's you know, hey, we'll keep you posted because hmm. nothing. I mean, I think the NBA at least. From people that I have talked to, the, the, I mean, the NBA is just coming up with plans. They're coming up with ideas. They're coming up with solutions. And But none of them can be set in stone because nothing – we still don't know. We still don't know how things are going to work out. I think it was a big move that now facilities will be open, you know, this first week of May. If the government is allowing the states to open and start to reopen, you know, they're going to open up the team facilities that guys can practice. And, and I think that's good. Um, I think that's a that's a movement in the right direction. I think the story about Walt Disney World is very interesting um, because, at least from what I understand, Walt Disney World has pretty much decided to shut down the rest of the year. So you'd have Walt Disney World Resort, which is a large complex, to be able to house all of the teams in the NBA if they wanted to go that route. It seems to make a lot of sense. Las Vegas doesn't seem to make sense to me personally, only because I think Vegas probably – uh, among any city in America, wants to get back to business uh, sure. as soon as possible. So I, I would imagine they're fighting for that more than they'd be fighting for having the NBA there because I don't know what that really does for them, to be honest with you. And, and that's just my opinion. Um, 
But then I think LeBron's words today are very important. I think they're very strong. I mean, LeBron has talked to more executives and more management types than I certainly have. And so he'd have a much better feel of it. And to see him and to also see quotes from R.C. Buford, general manager of the San Antonio Spurs, all indication is the NBA still wants to finish the season and then have their playoffs. And I would I would think, and again, this is just a guess on my part, I think you'd want to do that because of the potential of maybe having fans back in the arena come playoff time. I think it'd be tough to just start from the playoffs and have no fans and just play it just to play it. It, it just doesn't, I don't know, it, 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 it seems very odd. Now, that's probably a scenario that's out there, uh, but because I think all scenarios are on the table, including canceling the season. But from all indication, from everybody you've heard in the league, from players uh, who are a lot closer to the deal than I am, to executives who are obviously a lot closer to the deal than I am, when they say there's no intention to not finish the season, that makes me feel pretty good that they're going to find a way to hopefully finish the season and have a postseason. Adam Silver said on April 17th that he thought it would be May 1st before he was ready to make any sort of a recommendation on how to proceed. May 1st is tomorrow. Uh, Do you anticipate tomorrow, over the weekend, early next week, something from Adam Silver? Well, he's been meeting with owners almost on a weekly basis, and, and to me, I think that, you know, if there's any announcement in the next week, it would stun me if they had a definitive date. This is what we're doing this is it. I think he'd say, I, and again, <laughs> I have to preface everything I say with, this is just a guess on my part completely. But my guess would be he'd come out and basically say, we're close to having, you know, multiple solutions. We're, we're now trying to figure out what the best solution is. I, I mean, I, I would think maybe if they, if they talk this week, it would be, we have multiple solutions. We're going to talk. We're going to vote. We're going to figure out uh, how we can do this, but we still plan on playing the season. I, I think they truly are. They truly do believe that they want to finish the season. Um, and I mean, I, like I said, I think LeBron's tweet today was that was very. It was a, it was a pretty big statement from LeBron, and 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 I, I you know, when LeBron speaks, people listen. So yep. I, I think that LeBron certainly got some input and. Um, it makes me feel better as, a, as an employee of an NBA team that I, I, I still believe. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I still believe we're going to finish the NBA season. And you'll get to wear your fancy shoes at least one more time. Rob, thanks so much. Always good to visit with you, my friend. Richard, always a pleasure. Sorry about yesterday, but glad we could hook up anytime. Man. Absolutely. That's Rob Fisher on the Farm Bureau phone line. Just a rock and roll, yeah. Stick on the uh, basketball front and go a different direction with it. Uh, ben Halland and Mississippi State get a uh, a commitment. Um, I guess a transfer coming in from the University of Louisiana, as they like to be called, Louisiana Lafayette, as all the rest of them, uh, the rest of the world knows them. Jalen Johnson, who was a leading scorer and rebounder at uh, Louisiana Lafayette last year, is headed to Mississippi State. Yeah, 15 points and almost seven rebounds a game. Uh, he's a grad transfer, so that'll, that's no problem there. He'll be uh, eligible immediately, uh, regardless of what the NCAA decides on this in this upcoming uh, 
meeting, and that's a you know that's a position of need for Mississippi State. You hope that he's a guy who can sort of slide into the role that Robert Woodard may be leaving behind should he stay in the NBA draft. Um, some other recruiting news from SU. I would expect uh, Forest Hills uh, Keandre Montgomery to commit to Mississippi State in the, in the next you know week or two. I think that's probably going to happen. The state's a top-rated player. So a couple of guys, I think they have three scholarships available. That would be one. Montgomery would be one. They'll hold one, obviously, for Woodard, and then they'll see what happens uh, with him staying in the draft. This is the third school for Jalen Johnson. He played his freshman and sophomore years at St. Louis. Uh, 33 games as a freshman, 33 games as a sophomore with 24 starts. Uh, enrolled at uh, Louisiana as a junior, redshirted the uh, first year that he was there, and then last year as a redshirt junior, led all Sunbelt Conference newcomers and led the team, uh, the Raging Cajuns, with 15.5 points per game, 15 points per game in conference play, and also led the team with 6.5 rebounds, started all 33 games, uh, fifth in the Sun Belt in minutes, eighth in offensive rebounds, tenth in defensive rebounds, uh, and then ranked among the conference's leaders in scoring, rebounding, free throw percentage, field goal percentage, and uh, minutes played. So this is a guy that not only do you expect to come in and be eligible, you expect to come in and be a contributor right away. Not only expect, I think you sort of you feel like you're depending on it to, to need. Be like that. Yeah, it's a need. Interesting stat, and that's the actual quote from from John Rothstein, who wanted me also to stay hungry and stay humble. Uh, 13 mid-major players averaged double-figure field goal attempts during the 18-19 season and grad transferred into high-major programs the next year. None of them averaged double-figure field goal attempts in 1920. So that is, you know, just to don't want to be a wet blanket, but that's, you know, I feel like you should temper your expectations a little bit. If you, if you think this is a guy who can come in and put in those same kind of numbers in the SEC, I wouldn't expect that. But can he be a contributor? I think so. Yeah. Um, kind of a weird time if you're a basketball coach. Oh, incredibly weird. I mean, this is, you know, the, the peak of recruiting and, and everything going on, and you're just you're talking to guys on Zoom and, walking around your facilities with a FaceTime open so you can show them the gym and the, the weight room and everything else because they can't visit. This is somehow weirder than when the FBI arrested a bunch of them. Yes, basically. Yeah. Imagine this that. actually derailed basketball. Has actually derailed basketball. I mean, Remember what we thought when that happened? Uh, now that you say it. This is actually derailing basketball. Remember what the thought was at the time? That the sport was changing forever. Mm -hmm. That this was actually getting serious now. And look what's gone on. I mean, even the schools that got investigated and stuff found from the FBI, coaches are still there. And yeah, the NCAA sent them a notice of allegations. What was it? Kansas had one level one violation that was in their notice of allegations. I, I mean, even when the NCAA has federal investigative materials, they're not even hitting these schools. It, it is, it shouldn't be surprising, I guess, but man, disappointing, I think. Yeah. You know, you just think about the, the, the deal for basketball. I mean, it's almost like we've, because basketball ended and baseball went away, We've just kind of moved on to the football conversation for the future, and it's basketball that that had kind of the biggest pump.
punch because it was on the precipice of getting into the most popular collegiate postseason event. It dominates one month of the year and it had that taken from it. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Conference tournaments ripped away. NCAA tournament ripped away. Everybody off campus, go home. Now we're getting to the summer and you know the, the showcases that happen in Vegas and Peach Jam in Atlanta. I mean, all that stuff's going away. AAU summer basketball, very much in jeopardy. I don't know if they'll pick that up at some point this summer, but you basically have no college summer baseball leagues happening. Cape Cod... Uh, officially announced earlier this week that they would not be playing. They were kind of one of the last holdouts. Um, you know, there's one starting July one. I saw this morning. What league is that? Oh, is it the on. one in Alaska? And I'm not even being sarcastic. I don't know. Coastal Plain League. Oh wow. Coastal Plains. Okay. I'm going to bet based off the name that's not Alaska. <laughs> well, they're on a coast. Fair enough. You know, I, I, if I, I'll tell you a group that could benefit from, from this. If we get into the summer and things have kind of settled down and we can move around and we can do stuff again and there can be some interaction, what about the Cotton States League that plays in New Albany? Um, you get a bunch of players from Ole Miss and Mississippi State and, I don't know, northern parts of Alabama, West Tennessee, maybe even over into the you know, the Arkansas Delta, maybe as far as what... Now, now one of the things that's been in place for the, the Cotton State Summer League, their, their collegiate league, is they've used host families. I don't know that that piece of it could happen, so it probably would have to be geographically within driving distance. But I think you very well could have some sort of summer ball in north central Mississippi, in New Albany with the Cotton States League. And that can be a boon for them. I mean, they could get some incredible players to come in and play games, whether it's just on the weekends or, you know, it's weeknight ball games. Because everybody's going to be looking for a way to play. You have college baseball players that will not have played a game since the first week of March. And that's just not what they do. They play ball. We talk about well, going home for the summer. You have a few guys that will get to a point in their career where they say, I need to take a summer off. Either I've got something else to do, I've got to focus on school, or I just need a break. You know, we just played 56 regular season games and had a run in the conference tournament and made a run to Omaha. We've played 75 games. We had fall ball. My body needs rest. And so you have a few players that do that. But for most people, it's fall ball, home at Christmas, practice leading up to the start of the season, baseball from mid-February to mid-June, and then the next week you go and you start playing summer ball somewhere. And then you do it all over again. That's what baseball players do at this level. I'm sorry, Rippy, what were you saying? I was just saying, like to add on, it's upperclassmen predominantly you see that would have a summer off. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And if you redshirt, you're absolutely playing summer ball somewhere. You got to get reps. If you play as a freshman, I mean, if you're elite, you're either going to Cape Cod or Team USA. If you're just a guy that played a little bit, you're either going to Cape Cod or another one of these 
high-end summer leagues. You're doing that probably after your sophomore year as well. So I do think it's going to be fascinating to see if we get any summer baseball. Um, i got a friend that says there's a, uh, a summer league that's happening in Jackson now as well that uh, Chris Snowpeck is behind. So we'll, nice. we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll check into that. Um, you want to be uh, part of the show, you can on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. Would you guys be opposed to some actual football conversation? I mean, I guess it's all hypothetical. Hey, Dad, you can get on board with this, right? Uh, I can always get on board with a football conversation. Oh, it's fine. I'm so sick of the people that are like, why are we? Why are you writing about this? Why are you talking about this? The season's probably not happening anyway. Like, thanks, guy. We know that things are messed up out there right now, but can we just have this for a little while? So, yes, please. Real football conversation. So we got a break coming up. We're going to take a timeout, and then I'm going to pull out the old composite schedule. And uh, we'll look at some of these... I, I tell you what, I tell you what, let, 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 I said it's going to be hypothetical, so let's create a hypothetical. What what day are we going to start the season? Let, let's assume that there is a delay, and so the season begins on September 26th. Is that good? We have to we have to hold it three weeks, and we start the last weekend of September. Can we be good with that? On board. All right, so when we come back, we will look at week one of the college football season, hypothetically, as September 26th. What will those matchups look like? What's week two going to look like? Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. on Sports Talk Mississippi, wrapping up the 4 o'clock hour. One hour remains on this Thursday, the final day of the month of April. What a month it has been. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. What's more likely to uh, start the season on September 23rd, uh, I'm sorry, 26th or October 3rd? Which of those scenarios is more likely? I kind of feel like it's October 3rd. I don't know why. I mean, it's what is it, just one week? But I think an early October start would make the most sense to keep most everything intact. You could, instead of taking the month off before bowl games, have your season roll right into bowls and keep everything relatively compartmentalized. And give other states a chance, the ones that are dragging behind, like California, for example, and, I mean, New York, I don't know what New York's going to do. Their case and situation is so dramatically different than ours. I mean, is Syracuse University opening up at all this year? I know it's not in New York City, but still, the, if the state won't let colleges and universities open up, I mean, Syracuse is part of that. And their situation is different than ours. So the the longer you can delay gives more opportunity for other states to open up and have a full schedule. I'm not sure exactly what you do with open dates. 
There's a, it's a little different this year on the SEC schedule. Nobody has an open date at all for the first five weeks of the season. Nobody. Everybody plays every week, first five weeks. And everybody plays the last four weeks of the season. So all of the open dates are grouped into October 17th. I'm sorry, there's a four-week window. Mississippi State's open date is on October 10th. South Carolina and Tennessee are on October 17th. Florida, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and Auburn, October 24th. And then on Halloween, Kentucky, Missouri, Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. But that's the window for open dates. So I'm not sure exactly what you do with the open dates. Feels like you've got to eliminate those, but I'm not sure how exactly how you fill them without messing up the rest of the schedule. Do you have to, though? If your date's right, if it is September 26th, don't you really just pick up the schedule and just move it back four weeks? Well, if you eliminate the open date, then you've only got to add two weeks to the end of the season, right? Or three weeks to the end of the season, I guess. That seems um, tough because it's not just SEC schools you're working with. I mean, yeah, no, no, I, I get what you're saying. You, you'd have to like reschedule the entire country, and and that probably doesn't work. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know the impact uh, that they have, or their voice isn't strong. But at, for example, Tennessee has Furman, uh, Ole Miss has Southeast Missouri. Uh, these schools that absolutely need these games, and are you really going to tell the Furmans and the Semos that you know what? we're not going to play with you this year, sorry, because that could jeopardize their athletic department when it's already jeopardized from coronavirus. You're going to have yeah. this pandemic happen and then take away the games that really keep them alive. That, that'd be tough. All right, so, so a quick question here. If we start on October 3rd, do you take the beginning of the season, September 5th, and just move it to October 3rd and then play everything out straight through from there? Or do you start playing on October 3rd with everybody's schedule as it exists and then take September 5th and start at the first week in December? The, the best way to do it is to start the season with week one whenever week one is. Because uh, just just for college football sake, do, do we really want the, the Iron Bowl and the Egg Bowl and the Army-Navy in you know week nine? I think if you want a sense of normalcy, just because every, everybody's on the same page here. There's nobody who's like, well, we're, we're, we're off. No, no, that's not how it works. Everybody's on the same page. Just start week one, week one. I'd play the Egg Bowl week zero. <laughs> yeah. uh. we, we glossed over this earlier. I, I want to go back, and I want to read Greg Sankey's tweet from earlier. To, or he did an interview with um, 1010XL in Jacksonville. And Matt Hayes uh, tweeted a quote from Greg Sankey. Um, let's see here. This is riveting stuff here. I'm sorry. The hope is we all move along together, but there is room for different conferences to make different decisions. If a couple programs aren't able, does that stop everyone? I'm not sure it does. Only point I was going to make here, it, 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 we'll look at the schedule when we come back. We'll kind of play some things out, what might happen. Um, 
Greg Sankey does not have a history of saying things off the cuff. Pretty much everything that comes out of his mouth is calculated and has been thought about and his his words are parsed very carefully. That makes me think that there are some either conferences or teams within the SEC or maybe teams within other conferences who've said, I don't think we're going to be able to go. And that's Greg Sankey saying loud and clear, we're playing, we're playing football with or without you. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be right back. into the 5 o'clock hour on this Thursday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey to start the 5 o'clock hour. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Cole Kublik, who is a co-host of Three Man Front on uh, Jocks in Birmingham and also college football analyst with ESPN and uh, SEC Network. Cole, first of all, congratulations. Baby number three has uh, has arrived. Everybody doing well? Yeah, everybody's doing well. We um, Today's been kind of a rough sleep day, but other than that, things have been pretty good. Uh, the other two kids have taken to him and uh, are doing their best and behaving themselves. And everything's been fun. Mom's getting better every day, so it's been it's been pretty good. Very good. Well, congratulations on that. No uh, relief to to having a birth that goes well, especially in uh, in these crazy times. Speaking of these crazy times, what's your gut as you're talking to people, as you're thinking about it and looking at all that happens? Do we play a college football season? And if yes, when do you think it starts? I think we play a season. I, I could see one that is altered somehow, some way. Uh, I don't know if that means that you're, you're going to have you know fewer teams, if you're going to have fewer games, if you're going to not play out of conference. I don't know exactly what that is. I think you know we're we're at a point right now, Richard, where things change on a daily basis. And anybody who strongly speculates on what they think is going to happen or when it's going to happen, I, I think they're fooling themselves just because of how quickly things can maneuver. Um, I don't think that there's any way we're not going to have a season. I also don't buy the whole spring season thing because I think then you really get into affecting 2021, and I just don't know if you can do that. You, you can't ask college football players to play two seasons in one calendar year. That's just that's not a real thing. So uh, I, I think that things are heading in the right direction. Um, I think that you've seen really good news out of schools like Georgia and Ole Miss and Texas and Oklahoma and Oregon coming out and saying, hey, our plans are to have students here when fall semester begins. That's a great thing. Because as you know, probably believe like I do, they're not going to play these games without students on campus. You can talk, you okay. can have a different conversation about fans or amount of fans in the stands, but they're not going to play that season without students on campus. And I, I thought I thought the president of Purdue had some really cool statements and, and some really well-thought-out ideas of limiting class size. Uh, you know, having online labs where it just it keeps kids from getting together one more time. Uh, you know, trying to spread classes out across the course of the day a little bit more so campus doesn't become as crowded as many times during the day. Uh, you know, I think there, there are a lot of things like that, allowing on-campus students to do more online throughout the course of the semester. So I think that the fact that there are people that are thinking that way, having those conversations every day, I think it's all great news. And I don't know exactly how it's going to look, 
Um, I don't know exactly when it's going to start, but I do think that we have a college football season. Cole, I was kind of saying before the break, Greg Sankey did a uh, an interview today on 1010XL in Jacksonville, sports talk station there. And the quote that kind of has made the rounds is, the hope is we all move along together, but there is room for different conferences to make different decisions. If a couple programs aren't able, does that stop everyone? I'm not sure it does. You you know Greg Sankey well. I, think- I, I know him fairly well. I feel like he doesn't say anything that he hasn't thought about and that isn't calculated. Is there a deeper message here than him just answering a question? Probably. Just mainly because of what you said, that the the way he handles most things and talks about most things is, is in a manner that which has been thought out and probably does have more meaning than what lies on the surface. Um I think that's kind of the biggest question in all of this, really, that, that not a lot of people seem to spend a lot of time on. And that is, you know, what would happen to the ACC if, if, let's say, Syracuse or Syracuse and Boston College are not allowed to play a college football season? What does the Big Ten do if Rutgers is not allowed to compete? What does the Pac-12 do if their California schools are not allowed to be on campus? Therefore, those schools can't go play. I mean, that obviously hits them a lot harder when you're talking about Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA not being able to play. That's a that's a much bigger impact just on that conference than it would be for some of the others. But you know, I think I think it's a really interesting discussion or thought of what would a certain conference do? Like hypothetically, things go sideways in New Orleans over the next month, and there's a there's a trickle over effect into Baton Rouge. The SEC play a season without LSU. Well, 13 other schools. So I, I, I'm not. I'm actually not worried about playing with four Power Five conferences or two conferences not playing. Or if the SEC, the ACC, the American, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, and the Big Twelve are the only early conferences playing. Because at that point, you get a season, you figure out how to schedule it. And I've been surprised at how many people have told me that they don't think there'd be a college football playoff if that happened. I think those people are bonkers. Because if you don't think the college football playoff is going to do everything in their power to put four games on the air or put four teams in their playoffs and give you three football games, you're out of your mind. I don't care how many conferences aren't playing. They're going to play a playoff if it's at all possible. Hell, I think they played if the SEC was the only conference playing. So, I mean, there's just there's too much tied to it, and it's too meaningful. Uh, and, and people can sit here and say, and I've had people tell me, oh, well, the, the powers that be, the athletic directors, the presidents, well, that, that might be of one conference. <laughs> that doesn't like that. And, and guess who else has a lot of power? The other conferences and the other presidents and the other athletic directors of the ones that would be playing football. So I think it's a real interesting thought and discussion and conversation, though, of what would individual conferences do if one or two teams inside of their 10- or 14-team league were not able to play? Because I think you still got to go play, Richard. And, and, and your selling point there is we're still going to bring the revenue that's going to be distributed partially to you. You going to pass up on that? No, you don't. Those, those schools don't want that check, and because of that, they're not going to fight it. Without picking on Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt to me, seem, just because they kind of go about things a little bit differently, and sometimes they take a little bit different approach than the other 13 schools do in the SEC, it strikes me as Vanderbilt is the only potential school that says, 
we're not going to play football in the fall. They were the first to send students home, and yeah, which everybody ultimately did. But I feel like maybe they just kind of look at things a little bit differently than some of the other schools. You mentioned LSU a second. And I don't care if New Orleans falls off the map altogether. There's no way in hell LSU is not going to play football on the heels of winning a national championship a year ago. <laughs> do you think the SEC goes 14 for 14 in teams of returning, or do you think there's a scenario where – Maybe you've got one SEC school, whether it's Vanderbilt or somebody else, that goes, you know what, we're out for this year. I do think if there's one, you're probably right. I mean, you tell me another athletic department that acts there's not one. in a more different way than the others in the league. I mean, you can look at what Georgia does and Alabama does and Tennessee does and Florida and LSU and Auburn and South Carolina. Uh, you know, maybe Missouri is the other – semi-outlier. I mean, A&M has fit right into the SEC perfectly. I mean, they, they walk, talk, act, and look like an SEC school. Uh, and that's from the administration down to how they handle things athletically. So uh, I think you're right in the sense that there have been instances in I – mean, but let's talk about that check that I just mentioned not long ago. Why is theirs not going to redo their stadium? Why is theirs not going to do the football facilities – uh, you know, the, the, where the, the players lounge, the players locker room, uh, you're having an indoor practice facility. What, how has that money not gone to that? Uh, so yes, there, it, there is a lot of reality in that they act differently than the other 13 schools. And if there was one close to that next in line, I'd probably say Missouri, but if you've seen their new addition to their football stadium that their players yeah. have, it is, it's awesome. I mean, that, hey, that they just joined the club and overpaid for a football coach. Yeah, and 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 the, and the basketball arena is, is fairly new and nice, and they have a nice softball complex. So it's, it's not like they've completely pushed everything to the side. I just think that they probably have limitations when you compare them to Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, LSU. They're just they're they're financially not on the same level, so it probably looks a little bit different to people like us who have been around some of these traditional SEC powers for a very long time. Um, Hey, last thing. Got a minute left. Hard for me. I, I think. I think. I think there would be enough pressure on them to make it happen, and I think that there would be possible ramifications if it, if they were able to and then didn't. Yeah, that's a good point. But last thing of the four schools that have new coaches: Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Lai Drinkowitz at uh, at Missouri, uh, of course Mississippi State, and Ole Miss with Leach and, and Kiffin. Which one of those four is most adversely affected by missing a spring going into year number one with a new coach? I think it's Mississippi State, just because that system is so different. And I, I think, yes, you have K.J. Costello, who's a veteran, but he also is not going to have that rapport with his teammates and his receivers and running backs and offensive linemen that he needs. Um, and, and let's not mistake this. This is not just that what they do from a play call perspective is going to be very different. It's there's a different attitude there, a different demeanor. I mean, the way things are going to be managed and handled is going to be different. The expectation is going to change. You know, just just how things are are set up and organized is going to be very different. And I think with that system comes different alignment, different splits. You know, different personnel groupings, different motions. Those are things that take a lot of time to learn. It's not just the play calls. It's not. But yeah, his play calls might be one word. I mean, Tonto or or Turtle or. You know, seashell may all be different plays, but it's, it's everything that goes into lining up, knowing where to be, when to be there, how to be there, how many steps to take on a route, what pass set to take here, how to change a protection. 
those are the things you need to be together for, just in walkthroughs and film sessions and meeting rooms. And I, I honestly believe that Mississippi State is probably hampered by this more than anybody else. Thanks, Cole. Appreciate it, man. Good talking to you. All right. Yeah, you as well. Congratulations again on Little Man. We'll talk to you soon. Can't wait. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial! Here on Super Talk Mississippi. you on Sports Talk Mississippi. 20 minutes after 5 on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. C Spire text line open to you. 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today at cspire.com slash Business. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Last day of the month, chance still for you to save on an F-150 best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Do so today. Start your search online at buyfordnow.com. Let's start here by circling back to our conversation with Cole Kublik on the Farm Bureau phone line. Hey, Dad, I asked that question as we were wrapping up the interview. Four new coaches in the SEC, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Elijah Drinkwitz at, uh, at Missouri, uh, Mike Leach at Mississippi State, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Of those four, which one is most adversely affected or which team is most adversely affected by missing this entire spring and most of the summer leading up to the season? He said Mississippi State. What's your reaction to that? Just based off everything I've heard, you know, and everything I've read about Mike Leach's offense, is that it is so simple to pick up. I, I disagree with him. Uh, you know, everything I've read, you know, I read that article from the uh, the Athletic that Jason Jinks wrote, reading from what former players have said, that it's it, it really is the simplest offense in terms of being able to pick it up. So for me, the answer is Arkansas because they just need the most work. They just need to have some positive things. They need to see good things happening for themselves. Uh, and you know, and they have a a, a first time head coach who just needs to be able to get into the groove of being a head coach. That's that's the correct answer to me. Uh, I see where he's coming from, but I, I think the offense is going to be simpler to grasp than what Cole was saying. You get though him talking about the system being so different, which which does make a lot of sense. But then not just the system in terms of the plays and the play call, but kind of the culture. Well, I mean, yeah, I think the state needed a culture change. That's for sure. But, you know, they're not that far removed from Dan Mullen, who had a more, you know, stricter, more disciplinarian style culture than did what? No, I was just saying, are they not far? I mean, is there anybody left that feels like, oh, Dan Mullen's stamp is still on the program? I mean, you still got a ton of guys that he recruited on that team. So, yeah, I would think so. Okay. I mean, Kylan Hill is still there. Greg Island and Stuart Reese. Uh, Dorian Parker was recruited by Mullen. Defensively, you know, Kobe Jones, Marquis Spencer, Errol Thompson, uh, Marcus Murphy, all those guys were recruited by Mullen. So. But they just went through two years 
plus an off season of what they just went through, I guess was kind of point. Well, I get that, but I'm, I'm saying that with the right leadership in place, I think that they can, that the culture can, can fix itself. Maybe not easily, but it, it can, it, they can do it. Okay. Fair and, enough. And what, what are you saying about terminology and all that? Well, that's true. That's true for everybody. Anybody that undergoes a coaching change, the playbook's going to change. What Kiffin wants to do offensively is completely different from what Rodriguez wanted to do offensively, and so on and so forth. <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, anyway, hey, I don't know yeah. that Kiffin. I agree with you. I, I don't. I don't know. You know, if Ripley will be watching whoever the offensive coordinator. I guess it's Lebby. Is that his name? If Ripley will have to watch him the way he watched Rodriguez at the Egg Bowl, but still, less entertaining, so. presumably. Yeah. It's a shame. Rippy, have you spent any time thinking back to what that offense looked like last year and how that happened at the Division One level, the SEC uh, level? I mean, no, not really. I think if you're looking for a game that summed it up better than anyone, it's probably the Auburn game last year where defense kind of played over its head and they just couldn't do anything against a pretty good run defense. But, no, I have not spent a lot of time uh, journaling and documenting about what the 2018 4-8 Ole Miss offense looked like, or 2019, excuse me. It's a small amount of people, but there are still people out there. My Twitter mentions uh, tell me so that believe that that was something that they should have continued and allowed to continue. I mean, we talked all offseason, and it still holds true. It's mind-blowing that somebody with the diversity of offense that Rich Rodriguez showed, especially at Arizona, um, with the ability to have an offense that was dependent on the forward pass, which after last season is mind-blowing, but they had a 4,000-yard passer, a freshman quarterback in 2014, and he's done it different ways. And then to go to Ole Miss in the one year and force that square peg into the obviously very round hole, and there are still people out there those of which that played football at a higher level than me that could watch that and say out loud to people with their name attached to it that that is something that should have been allowed to continue is a mystery to me. I can't believe there are, it's just a very small percentage, but there are people that think that that should have been allowed to continue at the SEC level. I, I mean, can, kudos to your loyalty, but man, what are you watching? Porky, I wish we'll you would just, one you know, take a stance every now and then. You know, I mean, you're so wishy-washy in your opinions. <laughs> yeah. I, the the one thing that I might say, Borky, in defense of that idea, not that it should have continued, but their best players were the guys that carried the ball all the time. And then they forced it to Elijah Moore, and he was still productive, but they didn't have anybody else that could do anything from a receiver standpoint. How, how do you know? How does anybody yeah, know that? you don't really know that yet. I would say they don't know what they have at receiver because the passing game was just non-existent. I don't think it was the receiver's fault. It was, And awful. I don't think it was Plumlee's fault. I've got to revise my take on, on John Rice Plumlee. I spent all season on Sunday talking about how him playing quarterback won't work at Ole Miss. I, I should have been more more nuanced. Using him the way they used him was never going to work. I think we truly don't know what he's actually capable of at the quarterback position. Yes, you did see some limitations throwing the football, and and at times in the Mississippi State game you saw an uncomfortability in the pocket, like poor decisions in the pocket as far as like when to bail or, or try to make plays. But he was a true freshman playing the position. I think we don't know what we have 
in him. So we got a question on the text line earlier, who's going to start at quarterback? I think the natural answer, the one I've had, is you're likely going to see Corral because he fits a more traditional offense. But we don't know what Plumlee can or can't do because it was run left, run light, right, roll out right, throw an incomplete pass, and punt the football most of the year. So when they have an offense that actually seems to make sense, um, who knows what he's capable of? I don't think we do. So I need to revise my opinion on Plumlee. I think he's got a, he could have a great shot at being the starting quarterback because he'll actually be used in a responsible way moving forward. It, it very well still could be Corral. It could be Tisdale or Kincaid Dent for all we know. But I was irresponsible in writing John Rice Plumlee off as the future quarterback because he was used in such an irresponsible way. I didn't take that into an account. Greg and Nettleton says, Richard, the better question for Haydad would have been how much of Joe Moore's, uh, Moorhead's handprint is still on this Mississippi State team? Remember, point the thumb, not the finger. I mean, that's a good question that I can't really answer because, you know, we're not seeing practices and hearing from the coaches. But from what I can tell, you know, from what they, I saw from the, the little bit of, you know, workouts they were able to do in January, it, it seemed like the team took to the new regime, you know, pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, everything's going to be compacted. And I don't know if we undersell the importance of a spring or we oversell the importance of a spring, but in a a coaching transition year, it feels like it's pretty darn important. And it's important in the weight room and it's important with the conditioning staff and it's important with the head coach and the assistant coaches and, you know, meetings and all of those things. I mean, some of the meetings are happening, but I mean, online meetings aren't the same as. You know, when you're all sitting in a meeting room and you're dissecting film and going through things that way, uh, it is all going to be compacted. Somebody sent us a message that hasn't Leach said it would take about a week to install his playbook. Yeah, I mean, he said that. He has. But it's not just installing playbooks. I, I don't think. Especially when you're talking about a receiving core that hasn't been able to catch the football and a brand new quarterback. I mean, yes, learning the plays technically is part of it and maybe that piece of it doesn't you know take all that long but learning the tendencies of wide receivers and getting timing down between a brand new quarterback and a new group of wide receivers and trying to figure out if wide receivers can catch the ball on a consistent basis I mean all of that stuff takes a little bit of time it's not just to snap your fingers and it's done uh, and that's, that's not exclusive to Mississippi State. I mean, you're, you're talking new systems at all of these places. You uh, you want to be a part of the conversation, you can on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Strider says, Borky, at least you weren't as hard on John Rice Plumley as Haydad was on Joe Burrow. Well, you want to talk about an about face. People don't forget. Full-on turnaround, mid-season, late season for Haydad last year. From this guy can't play dead to may I lead the Heisman Trophy coronation. All right. When facts happen, we finally you got, will. You got to respond to them. We'll, we'll finally circle back to the schedule in uh, just a few minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi. That was your college football fix. what your life can truly be. All right, so let's go with the uh, the hypothetical that the season begins on September 26. We missed the first three weeks of the season. 
and we just pick up with the schedule where it is. And hey, Dad, I know this flies in the face of, of the idea you had a second ago where we said we start with week one whenever it is that the, the season begins. But maybe because of logistics and having to cancel stuff and rebook stuff, it's just easier to start there and then try and add the three weeks at the end of the year. So here's what the opening week of the football season would look like in terms of SEC teams. Florida would be at Tennessee. little rivalry game there to open the year. little sidebar, Tennessee has decided to get every recruit committed lately. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Jeremy Pruitt pretty good with a Zoom. Yeah, he's very charismatic. I'm sure those conversations are lovely. Well, he's doing something right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody is doing something right. I mean, hey, that's the game, right? Don't hate the uh, the player. I mean, how do you how do you facilitate those things in in an era of social distancing? Bottles of hand sanitizer and toilet paper. Venmo? <laughs> I'll send had, you 20 rolls of toilet paper if you commit to Tennessee. They had toilet paper at Kroger yesterday. The, the world is coming back to normal. Oh, nice. There you go. Uh, so you got Florida, Tennessee week one, which would be September 26th. It would actually be week four. Georgia hosting ULM. So Georgia would be able to kind of ease into their schedule. They would have ULM and Vanderbilt before playing Auburn at home. Three straight home games to start for Georgia if it were to start on September 26th. Kentucky hosting South Carolina. Missouri would get Eastern Michigan. Boy, the week four schedule is not great, is it? No. Vanderbilt, Colorado State in Nashville. Over, under. 5,500 actual butts in seats at kickoff. Has the NFL started and are fans in attendance? Well, fans would have to be in attendance for this scenario. Um, NFL has started. Okay. Because I was going to say, if the NFL had not started or had started without fans, then I would go over because people, even in Nashville, would be so jonesing for football that they might go. Alabama, by the way, did you see that the NFL is preparing at least a scenario in which college football starts later than them, and so they'll move some games to a Saturday? Hmm. That would be Was nice. that the uh, the deal with Amazon? No, uh, that's that's separated. So Amazon's got the, the one Saturday game potentially, but th- this is a league-wide thing to where if college football, say, starts four weeks into the NFL season, they'll move some of their games to Saturday just because they can own that day too. That makes sense. Alabama, Kent State. Yeehaw. So nothing really changed from Alabama to week one to week four in terms of... I know, actually, they're playing a tough team in week one, so never mind. Yeah, they had Southern... First four for Alabama were Southern Cal, Georgia State, Georgia, Kent State. Here's what's fascinating. If we went with this scenario where the season started on September 26th and you took the three games at the beginning of the year and just rolled them to the end of the year... Alabama would close out the regular season against Georgia. Ooh. Oh. Get them back. Yeah. Well, maybe. Probably. 
Maybe. I had this weird faith in Dan Mullen in Florida to be right there at the end. Ah, well, you know, never beat ranked teams, but it's okay. <laughs> Arkansas, Texas A&M, bummer for both of them. Neither of them get a home game. They would play that one in Dallas. Auburn hosting Southern Miss. Um, LSU hosting Ole Miss. How about Ole Miss at LSU in a season opener? I have a feeling Lane would choose Baylor over LSU to start the season, but that's just my guess. I mean, if is that the time you would want to play LSU if you've got to play them? Oh, that's a really good point, point, actually. Yeah, I mean, you, Miles Brennan's first start, potentially, with a new everything. I mean, keep them as even on your playing field as possible. That's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, it would be new everything for Ole Miss also. So. Right, but it... That it's going to be that way regardless. At least you catch LSU on a... I mean, because Ole Miss, the conversation after the draft was they didn't get anybody drafted, and that's a, a worthwhile conversation. That also means they've got a, a lot coming back, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Mississippi State would open with Tulane, would have back-to-back home games against Tulane and Texas A&M before an open date, and then back-to-back trips to Alabama and LSU. Gross. Ooh. I still want to know who from the state of Mississippi hurt the schedule maker in Birmingham. Yeah. Both Ole Miss and Mississippi State get LSU, Alabama in consecutive weeks. And throw Auburn in there as well. Well, you don't you wouldn't now, right? Oh, that's right. No, no, you still would get those two. LSU so LSU is Alabama's after LSU. For Ole Miss, it would be at LSU and then Alabama at home. For Mississippi State, it would be at Alabama at LSU. Oh, it's just mean. That's it, mean. Imagine starting the season with LSU and Alabama. I mean, you might <laughs> never be the same. Well, you're you're right. But how about this stretch for Mississippi State? Tulane, Texas A and M, open yeah. date at Bama, at LSU, Auburn. You would be feel you would feel really good if you had two wins. Really good. I think you would take that running. Yeah, if you're two and three, you got you got to feel really good about your chances of going eight and four or better. Uh, let's see. For Ole Miss, I said LSU, Alabama first on the road, then at home, and for Texas A&M, they would open with Arkansas and Dallas. Okay, so so that's what Week One would look like. Now let's take those first three games and just shift them to the end of the year and say that everything gets played the same. This would be the season-closing game, the last game of the regular season. Florida hosting South Alabama. Woohoo! Georgia at Alabama. Kentucky hosting Kent State. Missouri at South Carolina. Tennessee hosting Furman. Vanderbilt at Kansas State. (laughs) Huge. Arkansas at Mississippi State. Hmm. Um, Auburn at Ole Miss. LSU hosting Rice. Texas A&M hosting Colorado. It'd be a weird feel the final week of the regular season. Yeah. And that's why you don't like that? 
Yeah, like I always say, I'm old man. I don't like change. So yeah, it just it would feel weird to not end the college football season with the Egg Bowl. But if it happens that way, it just happens that way. And Florida would be set up to make a run at the end of the year. So after their game against Georgia, here's how Florida would finish if we took the first three games of the year and put them at the end of the season. So after they play Georgia in the cocktail party, at Vandy, Missouri, New Mexico State, at Florida State, Eastern Washington, Kentucky, and South Alabama. I mean, 6-1 and one or 7-0, and oh, right? The worst part for State is, like we said, that final game is against Arkansas. That's when you're playing them as late as you can possibly play them, Borky. They'd Woo. be so good by then. Watch out for the Hogs, man. You don't want any part of them the last week of the season. Yes, sir. You know, the, the schedule flip for Mississippi State would be fairly dramatic. Yeah. Where, where you would go from feeling like you had a chance to get off to a pretty good start with New Mexico State, NC State, Arkansas, and Tulane before you jumped into... I know Arkansas is in the league, but before you kind of jump into full-on league play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're there, but are they? Yeah. I mean, Mississippi State would now close the year with Missouri, Kentucky, Alabama, A&M. Alabama, A&M. Ole Miss on the road, and then New Mexico, NC State, and Arkansas. Man. I mean, who who knows if any of this ends up looking this way. Right. But we're kind of looking at this from the same way that we believe the NBA is looking at its opportunities. Major League Baseball is looking at things. College commissioners are looking at things. Every option right now is on the table. And so while we're sitting here talking about it on the radio, you've got people in athletics directors' chairs and commissioner and assistant commissioner chairs who are saying, okay, well, what if we have to start on October 3rd? Is that game one of the year, or do we push game one to October 3rd and then try and play it out from there? What do we do with the open date? What about in the case of Alabama, where Southern Cal may not have a season? Well, do we replace that game, or does it become an 11-game schedule? Um, man, there's just so many questions. Sports Talk Mississippi. With-
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.